We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Welcome to the J podcast. I'm your host, Jahan's Maniga, aka Nady in Red Bull. Make sure to like and subscribe to the Field of 68. I always tell you guys to do that, and so far, you guys have been holding true to that. I really appreciate the love and support and the feedback over the last few weeks, especially. Uh, and let's get right into the show, shall we? Today, we have a very special guest. He is our ninth guest of season number three. Uh, he is a junior at Indiana University. He is my producer for the Welcome to the J podcast. He does all the work behind the scenes that you guys don't see or hear about. He's an Indiana student, but believe me, I've converted him into a Jason. You guys, he's already seen as good as we can be and as bad as we can be. He is Josh Bode. Welcome to the podcast, man. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's good for the people to get to know you a little bit because obviously like you do all the editing and the cutting that I don't know how to do or wouldn't know how to do. So this podcast really doesn't survive without someone like you. I've had the chance to work with some really good producers over these past couple of years and you're definitely up there with them. So I appreciate all the hard work that you do behind the scenes, brother. And now it's time for the people to get to know you a little bit. Yeah, it's been it's been really fun working with you so far this season. Yeah. Been fun to to meet some of the guests as well and to watch some some sometimes good and sometimes not so good Creighton basketball. It's been a hell of a roller coaster already, hasn't it? Like our hearts has jumped out of our chest, like especially leading into Maui, being a Maui finalist, losing that game, tough game. And then we all know what the story is after that, losing to Texas on the road and Nebraska at home, losing in Vegas twice. The wheels almost fell off the Jays, but they were able to bounce back this past week with a win against DePaul in their last outing. Um they looked really good uh, from top to bottom. A big time performance by Trey Alexander scoring 32, knocking down seven threes, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that performance in and of itself, talk to me about like how big it was for Trey Alexander to get off to a good start, uh, to knock down those shots, because he's been one of the Jays that's really been kind of struggling offensively these last couple of weeks. 
Yeah, that was huge for him. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he jumped out to a really good start to the season, was knocking down a lot of shots from the perimeter. Mm-hmm. And then right when the, the Jays started to get cold, he got really cold, especially knocking down shots. I think in Vegas, he, he was shooting some pretty inefficient games, but huge for him to get back on track and a 30 piece on, uh, on Christmas. That's huge for him. That's yeah, Christmas time. Like those are the games that you definitely want to play. Like when we think about Christmas and basketball, it's usually the NBA slate, right? Like we don't always know if we'll have a chance to play on Christmas. I think this was the first time that the Jays played on Christmas in their program history, if I'm not mistaken, or in a really long time. I know I did see the graphic that it was DePaul's very first time playing on Christmas, but to have a 30 piece chicken nuggets with a little dip on the side on Christmas, that must have felt really good. And you're absolutely right. Trey Alexander was one of those guys coming into the season that, you know, we, we knew that the Jays need to get their shooting in and, and that was a deficiency that they had on as transfers coming in. We knew that um, uh, Favarello could shoot. We knew that uh, Shireman could shoot. Uh, and we expected the improvement of a guy like Shreggs and to really, you know, lock in that backcourt and, and to help loosen things up inside for Cogburner with shooting outside. So it's great to see him getting the touch back a little bit. Um, and yeah, it's it was a really great game to watch on Christmas Day. I, the last thing that I wanted for the Jays fan is to have a loss on Christmas Day. That was not going to bode well for everybody. No pun intended with your last name, by the way. Uh, so guys, here's what we're going to do a little bit today. Uh, a little bit of role reversal. Usually I'm the one asking questions to our guests. Today, I guess I'm the special guest on the Welcome to the J podcast. And my producer, Josh, here is going to be the one kind of firing questions away. We also asked our fans on Twitter to um, have some questions. So we're also going to get into that. Um, And yeah, this is going to be what the show is going to look like today. So Josh, you're the host. Take it away. Let's hear what you got for me. Yeah, we'll start with with one question from at HushKAJB1 on Twitter. They asked a few questions, but the first one, do you think Trey should bring the ball down the court and start the offense? So that's a very good question, obviously, because, you know, the way that their offense is set up between Trey, between Nemhard, between Shireman, all those guys, whoever is the closest outlet or gets the rebound, all have an opportunity to bring the ball down the court. Now, it just so happens that Trey hasn't really been put in those situations often for whatever reason this season. It's usually Sharman or, um, or Nemhard who brings the ball up, but you know, he's proven that he can make good decisions with the ball in his hands, coming off ball screens, initiating the offense. Um, last year, especially when Ryan Nemhard went down, he was a really key guy that guided the Jays through a tough rest of the Big East slate into the Big East tournament. He was the starting point guard on a Big East championship finalist. Uh, his game against South, our San Diego State in the first round of the tournament speaks for itself. And he was extremely solid against a Kansas team that the Jays gave everything to to end up winning a national championship. So we know that his imp- what his improvement has looked like in this past year as far as his decision-making and bringing the ball on the court. I just think it's one of those things where, you know, he hasn't really gotten a lot of rebounds and been the initiator of the offense. And when that happens, if he doesn't get it first, he runs down the wing and he spreads the court out the way, I'm assuming, Mac and, and the coaching staff wants him to. So uh, I think right now it's just more scheming than anything. I'm not quite sure that it has anything to do with uh, obviously he's not getting iced out by his teammates on outlets and things of that nature. I just think that Baylor grabs a ton of rebound for being a stretch four, a three slash stretch four. Um, and everything else that like Kaluma or uh, Kalk, you know, gets, they're 
in, like their initial reaction, their instinct is to find a point guard, which is still Ryan Nemhard, and give him the ball. So, you know, he's playing alongside of those guys. There's still a little bit more gelling to be done um, as far as that backcourt is concerned. But I think he's been doing a pretty good job so far this year. I really like the way that he's attacked the defensive end of the court. He's really challenged himself to become a better defender. So, uh, yeah, I, I think things are looking up for Trey, and I think that 32-point performance kind of, you know, shows that. Yeah, and it's tough, too, because like you said, Baylor Shireman's such a good defensive rebounder. He's going to clean up a lot of missed shots on the defensive end, and, and Nemhard's just such a, a dynamic uh, playmaker with the ball that uh, those two end up taking the ball up the court quite a bit. See, James fans, I told you, Josh is one of us already. <laughs> Did you hear the compliments? Shireman grabbing all those defensive boards. Dynamic point guard was what Ryan Damhart was. I told you guys I baptized this kid. It's all good. He's one of us. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we'll get to the next question from Twitter at Miller Sampson 2 asked, who is the leader of the team? Last year, it was Hawkins and uh, Alex O'Connell, but who should do better this year? Ooh, so not being in the locker room and being at practice every day, that's a very tough question to answer. If you look at the elder statement on this team, it's Sharif Mitchell, but he doesn't have quite the game experience because of his injuries and you know he was kind of slow to rehab uh lost his starting spot last year because of an injury and we saw how that affected Ryan Nemhard. and Ryan Nemhard just took the keys and ran with it so coming into this year you know he hasn't had a lot of opportunities and, and it's kind of understandable because the guys who are playing ahead of him had a hell of a run last year and uh, as well in the NCAA tournament so then you look at the next elder statement that's Baylor Shireman who's coming in from another school and from my experience guys who transfer in it takes a little bit of time for them to get the leadership legs under him as much as he tries to there's something about you know continuity and having guys who have been around the team before that just gives him a little bit of leeway for example like Grant Gibbs was someone that transferred in from Gonzaga but he played three years with us and you know he wasn't a leader necessarily as much of a leader as he was right away those messages didn't uh, resound with us as much as it did later on, later on. So it was one year of trust, two years of trust, and then finally our senior all of us together, you know, everything was clicking the way that it did. So um, it, it's tough for Bill to be thrown into this situation and be asked to be a leader. Now, as you look down the line, the next guy is Kalkbrenner, 
And it's tough usually for centers to be leaders all around, in my uh, opinion and experience. Uh, that's usually like reserved for like a guard or a point guard specifically. So I would say that Ryan Nemhard needs to really step up and, you know, be a, more of a vocal leader, you know, be a little bit more of a demonstrative leader uh, on the court. Now, again, this is just me looking from the outside in. I'm, I don't know the dynamics of the locker room, who's close with who, you know, and, and things of that nature. Um, as much as we try to avoid it, like every team has their little three or four little pockets of guys who are just a little bit closer with each other than they are with the rest of the guys. So yeah, just from the outside looking at, I think just Ryan Nemhard just needs to be a little bit more demonstrative in his leadership. He does a good job on the court. Obviously he, he runs the offense. He dimes the place up when he has to, he's been playing a lot of team ball this year. Uh, and in my humble opinion, I think he needs to be even more aggressive offensively. But he's one of those guys that I think the Jays need to look for as, as far as vocal leadership is concerned. I'm going to ask you the same question, Josh. What do you think? Who should really kind of step up and, and show a little bit more leadership on this team? I'm going to agree with you. Normally, at least offensive leadership tends to fall on, on the point guard, and that's Ryan Nemhard. He's still really young and losing those games at the end of the season last year. He doesn't have any postseason experience because of that, I believe. He was a freshman last year, right? Right. Yeah, so – uh, it's it's still a lot for him as a as a young player, but typically offensively, that's where uh, a lot of or someone's going to have to carry the weight, and it typically falls on the point guard. But I was going to ask you this as well. It seems like Kalkbrenner is obviously the defensive leader, at least is what it seems, and it seems like the defense got far better after he got back from his his injury. So you think it's the defense is just a that big of a difference to having Kalkbrenner versus not having Kalkbrenner? Well. So here's the thing about a guy like Kalkbrenner and his shot blocking ability. It gives the perimeter defenders so much more confidence in themselves to be a little bit more aggressive, knowing that if they make a mistake, you got the magic eraser back there ready to clean things up, right? So team defense is always going to get better when you have a guy down there that's able to move around as well as he does, challenge shots, block shots, and really just affect the offense in a way that you know a young uh, king is not able to do just yet fred is going to get there but he just doesn't have that ability just yet as quick and as athletic as he is right like it just takes some game time some experience for his iq to grow up through watching film and you know sitting down with the staff a better explanation of what he needs to get done but he's just not there yet when cogrenner comes back the defense really picks up just for the simple fact that you can maybe gamble and get a steal. You can maybe not be in the right positions, but he's able to clean those things up. And if you do play quote unquote perfect defense where you're keeping the guy in front of you, challenging every shot, rotating the way that you're supposed to, then it makes your defense that much better too. So yeah, his presence alone certainly affects that end of the court. And obviously like we know what he could do offensively too. Like that's 16 points a game that the Jays were missing when he was out of there this year. So yeah, his, his, like how, the way that he affects the game is is something that uh, is you know great to see, and the more that he is on the court, the better the Jays are for it. Yeah, for sure, and they really looked so much better getting back at home, getting Kalkbrenner back, getting back on track. Uh, those two games last week. Um, a couple other questions asked by uh, the first uh, Twitter uh, guy that we we had some questions from Hush K A J B one. He said a couple concerns for the team bench contribution. That was one of the big things at the start of the season, but, uh, and, and especially with when Kalkbrenner was out, but what do you think uh, the bench 
is going to be uh, contributing throughout Big East season. So this is one of those concerns, like you said, that we talked about when we had um, Toby Hegner, shout out my guy Tobias. Uh, when we had Toby Hegner on the podcast, that was one of the things that he really lamented about was how much the starting five was scoring compared to like the two or four points that we were getting from our bench guys. Um, it's been good to see the guys, you know, score a little bit more. I think that game against Nebraska for Fabarello was big time for him to get his confidence up. We see that he knocked down a couple of threes uh, last game against DePaul. And that's all that we really need. We need six points from one guy, three points from another, you know, like four from another guy. Next thing you know, like instead of having two bench points, we're in the 12 to 16 range. The starting five is going to take care of the rest. And like I said, the, I think the magic number for the Jays is 75. If we get those Godfather speeds a number, uh, then, we're, then we're good. As long as the fans go home and they have a chance to get some Godfathers, I think that the Jays will have a big time chance to win because they can lock up, they can keep teams under 67 points. You know, that, that I think that's a good, fair number that the Jays shouldn't allow their opponents to score over, obviously. There's big time talent in the Big East. At any point, anybody could get hot. But if that that could just remain their goal as far as points allowed, and their points for is always at seventy five. Obviously, that means the Jays win all the games down the stretch. Now, that's not necessarily re realistic, but I just think that you know uh, the the bench contribution is something that we're always going to be a little bit worried about because we didn't see much of it in uh, the beginning of the season, but. You know, as it's going down the stretch, I think Coach Mack is realizing I need to trust these guys a little bit more. These guys have to take a little bit more chances offensively, especially, you know, like you can't just sit there and rely for people to set you up. Sometimes you have to go make a play yourself and for yourself and for others as well. So I think uh, as the season goes on, a guy like Mason Miller is just going to get stronger. Fabriello is just going to keep getting more and more confident. And hopefully, you know, his three-point stroke comes along with his confidence. Yeah, you mentioned two guys, primarily three-point shooters, Mason Miller and Farabello. Farabello's been taking a lot of threes, but hasn't been hitting them quite at the clip you want him to be hitting at. Mm -hmm. And Mason Miller, he's been extremely efficient, but only taken, uh, I believe, 16 three-pointers so far this year. Uh, is Mason Miller someone you think should be should be hunting their shot more when they're on the floor? I think he's a guy that Jays fans are really high about because obviously his lineage, his father being Mike Miller, a, a two-time NBA champion, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so we know shooting runs in the blood, shooting runs in the family, right? I think Jays fans are super high on him. And the thing about him is he's a really athletic kid. I don't think the Jays have Jays fans have had a chance to really get to see how athletic he could be. So the thing for him is to really develop that consistent C shooting threes and and not to be so shy around these guys, right? Like they need him to catch and shoot and and not be hesitant. When guys are closing out on him, he's got the size, he's got the length to be able to shoot over guys. Don't turn down so many shots would be my advice to him, especially when you got those corner threes, the easiest three in the game. Knock one of those down, your confidence is going to go up. Maybe you're able to rattle two, three, four in a row before, you know, the defense knows what's hit, what, what hit him. So, uh, and especially like guys, like I remember when I was coming off the bench, my, the only thing that I wanted to do is to force the coach's hands to keep me on the floor, whether that be taking a charge, you know, like diving for a loose ball, knocking down a shot, whatever it took. And I just feel like those guys don't quite understand that urgency when you come off the bench to force the rotation to change because of you. So yeah, if I had a chance to be in any one of those guys ear and let them know like, Hey, like this is how you should approach things. That's what I would say. Force 
Coach Mack to be like, I can't take him off. He's done two, three, four good things, and we need to keep him on the floor. And then before you know it, your minutes increase, your confidence increase, and, and that's how you see more production, not just 16 shots from three all season long, but you know, you can maybe double, triple that as the season goes on. One more concern from Twitter. It's can the turnover problem be fixed? Now, so far, Creighton has been uh, not bad <sighs> turning the ball over. They're 53rd in the country uh, on Ken Palm for turnover percentage, but recently it's been a lot rougher. It's been, uh, they had 18 against DePaul, 15 against Butler, and 18 against Marquette. Not great uh, of a start for turning the ball over in Big East play. Definitely not. You definitely don't want to have double digits turnovers because those are just shots that you're not ha having yourself. And basically, Coach Mack used to always tell us this. If you have 12 turnovers, 12, 12 turnovers a game, you're basically handing the ball over to the other team 12 extra times to start the game and be like, hey, try to score on us. We'll give you 12 extra possessions, score on us. And you know, good teams are going to make you pay for that. Um, and those could be live ball turnovers. Even if the ball goes out of bounds and they're bringing the ball up, you're still hanging them, handing them the ball, saying, okay, our five versus your five. Let's see if you can score on us 12 more times than we have possession of the ball. So I think that's something that the Jays need to think about. Obviously, it's a very precious basketball. Like, not all turnovers are created equal, obviously. That's not at all what I'm saying. But you also put a lot of pressure on yourself when you have a high turnover rate because then you start to play a little bit nervous. Uh, you really don't want to turn the ball over. And that's never the mindset that you want to have attacking a defense. Um, so it, it's going to be something that's going to be tough to fix. But like I said, I think we just, as Jays fans, have to trust, you know, the ball handlers that we have on the court. We saw what Trey Alexander did. We know Ryan Nemhart being the reigning Big East freshman of the year, what he can do. And Baylor Shireman decided to join the Jays for a reason. Like he's a really good playmaker, sometimes a little too flashy for his own good, I must admit. Uh, I think he tried a behind-the-back pass that just went straight to DePaul the other night. But then again, we saw him do a double hand behind-the-back pass to Cockburner to start the season, So, or over-the-head pass, I should say. So I think they just need to play a, a little bit um, more heady basketball, you know, be in a rush but don't hurry kind of basketball. And I think those turnovers will go down. And trust me, if I know anything about Coach Mack and the coaching staff, they are harping on these things every day in practice, how precious the ball is, coming to a two-foot jump stop in the paint, you know, knowing when to pivot, knowing when to get out of defensive traps and things of that nature. So I think as the season wanes on, it's, it's going to get better and better. Obviously, like I always say, this is the most biased Creighton basketball podcast you'll ever hear. Like, it's tough for me to say anything bad about the boys, but that is a, definitely like a, a it, it is a concern. It's not something that I'm trying to downplay at all. But I do believe that the the boys will be able to get their, their thing together here and, and keep the ball a little bit more and, you know, hopefully put up more shots and not hand the ball over to the defense so much. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, I have one more question for you about the offense, and it's about the three-point shooting. They're they're an above average three-point shooting team in, in the scope of college basketball, but I'm interested, do you think they are a streaky three-point shooting team or a legitimately good three-point shooting team? So that's the thing about 
quote unquote being streaky. I I, I think people, uh, how can I say this? Because I was kind of called a, a streaky shooter in my career uh, from time to time, because like you'll go a game where you'll be maybe like one of seven, but then the next game you'll be like five of seven. Okay, well, all of that basically means I'm a 50% three-point shooter in those two games. And, but it's kind of tough to look at that because, like, when we needed you, you only made the one. And in the game that when th things are going well, you made five, right? So I don't know. Like, for me, I just believe that, you know, you, you got you to gotta knock him down when you're open. And then when you miss a few in a row, you can't be shy to take that third one. Um, I think that's more of the way that we need to look at, you know, the Jays shooting. It's not necessarily about like, oh, they're streaky or they only had that one good game where they're knocking out threes. If you're open, shoot the ball. Shoot the ball with confidence that it's going to go in. And if you miss two or three in a row, that just means the basketball gods owe you one. So shoot the fourth one. <laughs> like, I, I remember like Doug, obviously, who was our best player for my four years on campus. You know, he might start a game going 0 for 5. You think Doug would ever turn down that, that sixth shot? His mindset was like, the next one literally has to go in. It has to go when you play the percentages, not the shot necessarily. So if the Jays are, what is their uh, overall team three-point percentage? I don't have it in front of me. I'm not sure uh, if you do. It is 35.9%. All right, cool. 35.9%. So you got to play the percentages. That means if you have an open three, it's got a 35% shot to go in or probably higher. I don't know how advanced analytics necessarily works, but it comes to open versus challenge threes. What is a challenge three? Does it have to be two feet? Or I don't know about all of that. All I know is you got a 35% chance to knock this three in. Just shoot it, especially if you're open. If you're open, the chances are probably higher. So, uh, yeah, like I think the thing about that, what what the Jays learned in that Nebraska game especially is the difference between like a hard closeout where you do have a chance to catch and shoot the ball compared to like a hard closeout that you need to put your head down and attack it and make an extra pass for the guys. I think they they gave up a lot of, shootable shots in that Nebraska game. And I think they learned from that. Um, and now it's just a matter of, you know, letting the domino effect happen, seeing one go in, seeing two go in and, and watch it snowball and, and see if we can make 12 threes in a game. And then the next time try to beat that. So yeah, they, they are quote unquote streaky quote unquote, but again, I would just say play the percentages more than not. Don't, don't try to, you know, uh, give up shots just because maybe you've missed a couple to start the game. Yeah, I got one more question for you just about the next game against Seton Hall. They've looked somewhat scrappy so far in Big East play. I think they, they took Xavier down to the wire at the Cintas Center last week. Mm -hmm. And last night they played against Marquette, looked all right, hung in with them in the first half. But Marquette's a really good team at home so far this year, and they kind of ran away with it in the second half. What are you looking for in that game for the Blue Jays against Seton Hall? First thing is to, you know, get a – really good production from Trey Alexander again. Um, writing off of his 30-point game, I'm sure that he's feeling good about himself. I'm sure that the guys are now seeing, you know, here are the ways that he can really help this version of the team. We saw how he could do with the version of the team last year. But again, he's one of those guys who started off the season pretty well, had a little bit of a, you know, downward. He was kind of going downhill a little bit for a bit, but it seems like he's getting his footing under him and, and you know, it, it's trending up again. So, I'm hoping that he has another really good game just to really establish himself, and especially in that, you know, starting five who's got so much talent and so much potential. He's really that fifth guy that needs to come along, him and Arthur Kaluba more so. 
and have another good game. So I'm really looking forward to him doing that. The other thing I'm looking forward to is seeing our fans show up and show out. You know, it, it's been kind of tough sledding here for the Jays the last couple of uh, games. You, we saw that they lost six in a row. They've rebounded and won the last two. We need to really get behind this team and really get the, uh, I almost said century, like that's what it was called when I was there. But the CHI health center, we really need to get it jumping because we know how big, especially in Biggie's play, how big and important a crowd plays into the outcome of a game. So I'm ready to see the crowd rocking and rolling and help the Jays really feed off of that energy. You know, if you see a dunk from Cogburner, lose your mind. If Trey Alexander hits a three, lose your mind. And that's really going to help the boys on the court. Trust me, I'm speaking from experience. There are so many games where you come in having like a tough schedule, having played maybe like two games that week already. This is the third game on a Saturday night. Really struggling to get that extra, you know, energy about you. And you see the fans go crazy and it gives you everything that you need. So I know the boys would really enjoy that. And those are like kind of the two things I'm looking forward to. Trey Alexander having a really good game and seeing how crazy our fans could be, especially on the TV broadcast that I'll be watching. Yeah, I lied. I actually got one more question for you. How much did you feed off the home crowd and even away crowds as well uh, when you were playing in college? A home crowd, a thousand percent. I couldn't do anything without the home crowd, to be absolutely honest. And it's just like one of those things where uh, you you appreciate it while you're there, but you appreciate it so much more when it's done. Like my senior year, we went 16-0 and at home, didn't lose a game at home. And like, I just remember going into senior night, realizing that we hadn't lost at home. And I was just like, damn, like it's definitely not happening tonight. And this was against a really good Providence team that ended up beating us in the Big East uh, finals a week later uh, and that beat us at their place, you know? So this was a really good Providence team, but we were able to, you know, lay a bit of a smackdown on them my senior night, just because it was at home. It was our last game there. We knew we didn't want to lose that game in front of our home crowd and we didn't want to go out like that. So that's just my senior night. I could name you thousands of nights. It feels like that, like the home crowd, like really, really helped us out. So um, it's really important. You really feed off of that as a player. You don't realize how much you do until it's, it's done. Like now that I've played overseas for like nine years, I could rest assured there's no crowd like a crane crowd. Like the best years that I've played here with the best crowds has never, like what's the term? They never held a candle to what the Jays crowd is. So uh, yeah, definitely. And then on the road, that's a, just a whole other thing. I, I used to always try to find one person who maybe had a sign, who, you know, maybe had, was wearing too much home team apparel. And I used to just lock in on that one person and be like, I'm going to ruin your day. Like that, that is, that was like my goal when I was on the road, just locking on one person in the crowd and just be like, I'm going to absolutely ruin your day. And when you make a good play, huff and puff and, you know, get them to boo you, even if you have to, I used to always like try to be that guy. So and I know Grant Gibbs, I've mentioned him a couple of times on the podcast today already. He was definitely one of those guys who would try to get the fans on him. And just what it does is it just allows the rest of us or the other guys to just play basketball. Like you don't have to worry so much because one guy's getting the ire of the crowd. He's the heel, to, to use WWE words, uh, so to speak. He's the heel of the night. He gets all the booze. Meanwhile, when you look up, Doug's got 42 points. So, and Ethan Rodney's made six threes. So it, it, it was an awesome time to play for the Jays, like for those two things specifically. And uh, yeah, like I said, like if our crowd shows up and shows out, the boys are really going to feel that energy from the crowd for sure. 
Yeah, of course. And Creighton obviously is one of the one of the better home environments in all of college basketball, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We were I remember when I was coming in, we were like uh, ninth in the nation um, in attendance, if I'm not mistaken, that last year Dana Altman was there before Coach Mack took over and before my first recruiting class came in. Um, and I remember thinking like, I mean, yeah, the arena is giant, but like I, I just didn't realize how many fans could actually like back up that arena compared to like the North Carolinas, the Syracuses of the world. Like I didn't know that we were up there with them, but we really are. And that is an advantage that we can't let slip away. Like we can't let those numbers dwindle down. We need to be the best home court possible because it really affects the turnout of a game. And then obviously just for, you know, for pride's sake, if you're a Crane fan and you're in Omaha and you have a chance to come to these games, do it, you know, show your pride, show that you're behind the Jays. That's obviously on the men's side, but on the women's side too, and in all Jays, but I would encourage everybody to go out and, and support whatever the Jays have going on. Because like for me as an alumni who hasn't been able to come back to a game yet because of where my career has taken me, like that's one of those things that I really wish I, I'd have a chance to, you know, come back and be able to do. And when it's all said and done, I'm definitely going to be one of those guys who are, you know, in the fans cheering as much as I possibly can. Yeah, I got I got no other questions for you uh for you today, Jahans. Well, uh we already addressed some of the uh questions on Twitter. I think we got one more on Twitter if I'm not mistaken. No, you already asked about the leadership one for sure. Um yeah, that seems like that's it. Uh but in general, just talking about the Jays, you know, they play at home against Seton Hall, then they got two very tough ones on the road coming up. Josh, I need to ask you this question. How important is this upcoming game for the Jays uh, to make sure that they, you know, finish this three-game homestand with a win uh, before they head on the road? Yeah, I think it's huge, especially because of the non-conference record. You go on that six-game losing streak, you you kind of aren't living, leaving yourself a whole lot of room for error in Big East play just to get to, like, the amount of wins that you need to to be an at-large team to make the tournament. So, becomes extremely important for Creighton to to take care of home court to win all of or at least close to all of the the remaining home games UConn's going to be mm-hmm. a, a really tough game at home but you got to take care of as many teams as you can at home because the road games in any conference in college basketball are extremely hard to get that I know all too well the road games are it is not an easy task and that team could be one and 12 before they face you it's still going to be a really tough game on the road. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right about the importance of the home of the home court. Well, it goes back to what I was saying about the home crowd, too. Like, the Jays have dug themselves a hole, having lost these uh, six games in a row. And they need to dig themselves out of that hole by winning all of these, you know, home games and close games on the road, too. They're going to have to figure it out, you know, really dig in. Um, and, and let's see what they can do as Big East play unfolds. But, you know, it's going to be exciting, obviously. Like, it, it was tough sliding there for a while, but it's going to be an exciting uh, continuation of the Big East uh, regular season. And we're going to be here to talk about it all. My guy Josh is going to be in the background making sure that, you know, one, he's still a Blue Jays fan by the end of the season. And two, obviously, he's going to be taking care of me on the podcast side of the game. But, Josh, I really appreciate you obviously stepping in and filling in today. Um, happy holidays, obviously, uh, to you and to your family. Happy holidays to all the Jays fans out there. Uh, hope you guys had a safe and merry Christmas. 
And obviously wishing you guys nothing but the best, Josh, to see you as well, even though you go to Indiana into the new year. Uh, but yeah, this has been um, another Welcome to the J episode. I've been Jahans Managa. This is my producer, my now friend and Blue Jay fan, Josh Bode. Uh, Josh, any last words for Jays fans out there before we sign off? Not many, just uh, it's going to be a fun rest of the season, I think. It's a, it's a really fun team to watch, and I'm excited to see how they fare in the Big East. Absolutely. It's going to be, you know, a hell of a battle for the Big East standings when it all comes down to it. There's going to be a bunch of teams at the top there who are going to be competing for that number one spot. So, like I said, we're going to be right here commenting and analyzing it all. We're going to have more guests in the future for sure. Uh, make sure that you guys stay locked in to this podcast and don't forget to like and subscribe the other podcasts on the Field of 68 Media Network from wherever you listen to podcasts and especially on twitter where we post podcasts we also have a youtube page where we post a visual podcast for those of you who are just listening to it on the audio on the drive to work and back home from work we appreciate you but if you want to see our faces then you need to lock into that youtube page and on twitter as well uh i appreciate you guys make sure you stay safe as out there josh thank you once again and as always go Jays.